the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. It is so good to see so many familiar faces, and also really good to see some faces I don't recognize. So I'm so glad to be back here in this place. What is the nature of the character of God as it relates directly to you? It's the question that we want to ask and answer today, not only mentally, which is very important, how we answer that question, uh, the right answer is very important, but we want to not just answer it in our minds, we want to also answer it spiritually or soulfully. And I say that because, I mean, a lot of you know how to answer that, that question. The question of how the nature of the character of God relates directly to you. And you might say, well, by grace, you would be right. If you're anything like me, sometimes I can just say it. But it doesn't thrill me. Or make me shaky with gratitude doesn't embolden me to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the glory of His name, or inspire me to love Him more every day, His grace. And if you're anything like that at any time, like I am, we may have answered it mentally, but not soulfully. And so I, I, I just pray that the message uh, comes across with life from the Holy Spirit today, that we might answer it not only mentally, but also uh, soulfully. And that God may even begin to reweave the, the fabric of our heart's uh, intentions. It's a lot easier to get the answer right on paper than it is to get it right in our hearts. What is the nature of the character of God as it relates directly to you. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a, a great opportunity with Amy. Uh, we took my daughter Caroline uh, to New York City. It was, her, it was to celebrate her 10th birthday, which was a few months ago. But uh, we went up there, double digits. That was, that was the big trip. And we did a lot of really fun things. It was a great time. But one of the things we did was we went to uh, the top of Rockefeller Center. Uh, call it Top of the Rock, and uh, it was it was wonderful. We got there just after sunset. That was my fault. My Amy wasn't particularly happy about that, but um, but the sky was still pink, and you could see all of Central Park on one side, and you could, on the other side you could see the Empire State Building, and in the distance the new Freedom Tower. And it was spectacular. The light uh, from the sun was uh, getting darker, and the lights from the city were getting brighter. And it was just it was really really wonderful. It was packed up there, just packed with people. There were more selfie sticks than you've ever seen in one place uh, at one time. Uh, but, you know, no one, of all the, for all the people that were up on the roof, no one was taking the tour of the basement. Right? No, no one was going to see how deep the footings were or just get a glimpse of the, the Manhattan bedrock or even to see any of the first 70 or 80 floors that, uh, that had to exist in order for us to get that view. Well, of course, of course they weren't. But we as Christians, in our own Christian faith, know that we can't get to the heights without standing on the foundation. We can't move towards living the life that is pleasing to God without the foundation 
the nature of the character of God as it relates directly to us. And we just see it so clearly in, in all these passages. In uh, the passage from Jeremiah, in the passage in the Psalm, the famous Psalm 23, and also the Gospel from Mark. So this is a, a one-point sermon. Here's the point. God is for you. He's for you. And that may sound just so simple, but our hearts have a really hard time believing it. In Jeremiah, God is furious with the shepherds. And why? It's because He loves the sheep. The shepherds, who are the religious and political leaders uh, that were in charge of leading God's people in God's way, they had failed utterly. And the people are running off, they're worshiping other gods, they're engaging in pagan practices all over the place. And usually with approval, sometimes following the example of the shepherds. And God is sick of it. Because He loves the sheep. And He knows what's best for them. He knows what He made them for. So he says he's going to solve the problem himself because he loves the sheep. So he's going to raise up a righteous branch from David that, of course, will be fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who would reign forever uh, as he promised. In Mark, we see Jesus inviting the tired disciples on a retreat. You just hear the care and the compassion uh, in His voice as He invites them to rest. He is for them. He loves them. When they get to where they're going, they get to where they're going across the lake and they're waiting on them, or is it a crowd of 5,000 people? Jesus doesn't say, all right, we're, let's get, we're out of here. We're going somewhere else. He has compassion on them. He loves them. Mark says he had uh, compassion. These are the same 5,000 who would, uh, would receive the miracle meal, the, the loaves and the fish. And Jesus had compassion on them. The word here translated as compassion literally means he was moved in his guts. Kind of earthy. One scholar said that it means that he was so inwardly moved as to have to do something uh, for them. Because He was for them. He loved them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. It's the same way that God saw the people in Jeremiah's day. Sheep without a shepherd. People who were wandering, spiritually listless. They were relying on their wits and on the spirit of the age. They're searching aimlessly and fruitlessly and for meaning and direction and fulfillment and purpose. All things they were made for, but all things they were made only to find in the one who made them for himself. The good shepherd. The triune God who was moved in his guts for them and for you. God existed perfectly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly and contentedly before there was anything, before He made anything. He was perfect in Himself. 
And then he spoke the world into being, making everything that, are, that is out of nothing, out of his own divine imagination. And as he spoke it, it, it came into being just as it was, just as he intended it to be. And he came up with oak trees and hurricanes and lilies and lions and mountains and muskrats and cell biology and the Big Dipper and love and friendship and college football. Maybe. He came up with you. You know, there have been billions and billions of people who walk the face of this earth over centuries and centuries. And God Almighty, the very one who spoke all of that into being, doesn't know any of them more intimately than He knows you. Doesn't love any of them more than He loves you. And that is staggering. But it's true. From the foundations of the earth, from before the time He spoke it all into being, He has known you, known your name, your personality, your faults and your frailties, your gifts and your talents. He's known the things that you would suffer. He's known your triumphs. He's known your defeats. He made you to delight in you, that you would be a part of His happiness. He made you to enjoy you, to treasure you, and He made you to return that love by treasuring Him and and delighting in Him and enjoying Him. And honestly, it's not even really about you or me. It's about Him and His glory. You are part of His glory, not because you're you, but because you are known and loved by Him. Theologian Paul Tillich said once, uh, you just have to accept the fact that you're accepted. It's been a while since I've preached here on a Sunday morning. I mean, I've I've stood in this pulpit dozens of times. But only once since uh, going off to Trustville and becoming the interim rector there. And I've been so excited about coming back, but it's gotten closer and closer. And I've been really thinking about this sermon. I thought... Yeah, man, I better, I better make this one good. <laughs> I mean, this, this, I'm going to have to bring my A game for this one. I mean, what, I need to wow them. I mean, what, what are they going to think of me if I wow them? What are they going to think of me if I don't wow them? And instinctively, even as I was preparing a message about how God is for us, I began to wrap myself and my value and my sense of worth and happiness and how you perceive me and what you thought of me rather than what God has already said is so true about me in Christ because of His incarnate life and atoning death and everlasting resurrection. He said, It is finished. And in Christ He has said, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. See, in my own heart I began to work for the affirmation that my heart desired, rather than from the divine affirmation that I already had. It's so subtle. It happens so easily. And I'm, I'm doing vocational Christian work. How much more subtle, how much more pervasive and difficult is it if you're a banker or a lawyer or a 
administrator, a shopkeeper, a community volunteer. But it's still true. God is for you. He's moved in His guts for you. In his great sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Infinite joy, friends! I began to think about and consider the unblushing promises that Scripture has for us. And I just jotted down a few off the top of my head. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. All good things come down from the Father of lights. Cast your anxieties upon Him, for He cares for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest A table before me in the presence of my enemies. Comfort, comfort my people. Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Who can separate us from the love of God? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I could go on and on and on, friends. God is for you. He's for you. And He invites you to Himself. And so thoughtfully and prayerfully, what we want to do is we want to name before Him that place in our life, or those places in our life, where we are sheep without a shepherd. We're wandering, where we're relying on our own wits, where we're going after what we perceive to be greener grass. And then trust the Good Shepherd. Confess, come back to Him and trust that He is moved with compassion in His guts for you. And then because of His love for you and His death on your behalf, then remind yourself, preach to yourself day in and day out. The affirmation you have and work from that affirmation rather than for the affirmation of others. Because you will actually serve those others better if you already have the affirmation in Christ. What is the 
the nature of the character of God as it relates directly to you. Friends, God is for you. And that changes everything. Amen.